It is Friday on Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Glad to have you guys back for another day. The weekend coming up, a fun um, slate on the sports calendar, I would say. Um, Vikings, of course, play the Lions on Sunday at U.S. Bank Stadium. Ben Gessling from the Star Tribune will join me here in just a few minutes to talk about that game. Just some interesting storylines emerging off of that Monday night loss to the Eagles. You know, I think sometimes we in the media get accused of being a little bit negative. Um, But I I would say, by and large, storylines get more interesting when a team faces some adversity. And this is really the first time that Kevin O'Connell's Vikings have faced any kind of adversity, right? I mean, they, they... Whenever something's brand new, you give it plenty of benefit of the doubt, and then they go in and win their first game against the Packers quite convincingly. But now, after that 24-7 loss, all of a sudden you got questions like, well, look up, look at the defense. Um, well, you know, a defense that gave up almost 500 yards, gave up more than 300 yards just in the first half alone. Um, what's What's going on there? Is that just a, a one-game blip because Jalen Hurts was that good in that game. It's just hard to stop an offense like that. Or is there something more to it where the scheme um, that Ed Donatell is running this year doesn't really match the modern NFL or doesn't match the personnel? Way too early to know, but these are storylines that emerge, and then you want more information. We start to get more information against a Lions team that doesn't look to be quite the pushover it's been in the past and certainly has some playmakers on offense averaging 35 points a game. So that that piece of it makes it interesting, as does their ability to come back from a loss, test the character, test the uh, the culture that Kevin O'Connell is trying to build. So a lot to watch for on Sunday, and Ben Gessling and I will get into that here, like I said, in just a few minutes. Also got to breeze through the Twins really quick, lost again. Um, and an interesting storyline emerging out of Dallas that, that kind of caught my eye and makes me laugh a little bit, especially considering where we were last year with Cooper Rush. First, though, what did I miss? I find this interesting, and I think I might write about this a little bit more today. Does it make you nervous? Um, is this just your Minnesota sports reflexes taking over? Does it make you nervous at all that the Gophers deserved, probably um, or not, um, are three-point road favorites on Saturday at Michigan State, which, you know, a Michigan State team that's no longer in the top 25, but was number 11 in the country before losing to Washington last week. Does that make you nervous? How did the Gophers, did the Gophers earn that right to be thought of as a field goal better on the road? That's the part that surprises me on the road. If this game is at Huntington Bank Stadium, the three points would not surprise me at all because traditionally, and again, you know, this is just traditionally, and I think some of the gap has narrowed. There's been studies done on this. Some of the gap has been narrowed on home versus away advantage as travel has gotten better as they've as we've learned more about athletes' bodies, recovery, stuff like that. But traditionally, the in football, the home team is given an edge of about a field goal, right? The, the, home, the home field advantage is worth about three points um, in, in that scenario. So, so this really means that on a neutral field, um, 
you know, odds makers are saying the Gophers are, you know, better than about a touchdown better than Michigan State. And interesting too, this game opened up as um, Gophers favored by only a point and a half. So a lot of uh, a lot of action coming in on the Gophers right now. And obviously, they have been quite good this year. They've obviously, you know, against three. Three teams that uh, are not uh, not the cream of the college football crop, but you can only play who's on your schedule, and they have looked very good, as we've talked about many times, against New Mexico State, um, against Western Illinois, and then against uh, Colorado last week. You know, they're number two in entire the entire college football in total offense and total defense. Those things get your attention. That said, this is a significant step up in class and as much as you want to believe in this team as much as you probably should believe in this team and as much as even a loss this weekend probably would not make you say ah well here we go again I'm just still a little bit surprised at uh, at, at them being thought of as the better team against Michigan State on the road so we'll we'll see how that piece of it plays out and if they go to East Lansing and they look as good as they've looked. I'm not saying they're going to win, you know, in a route, but if they if they looked like the better team on the road against Michigan State and come away with a, you know, if not convincing so much on the scoreboard, but just a, a solid win, um, that's that's a big, you know, that that'd be a big moment for this program. That would tell you another step in this journey where you'd be like, okay, yeah, the things we think are true about this team, those those things are true, and then you got to start thinking about well not just maybe the big best team in the Big Ten West, but probably prohibitively favored then to win the the Big Ten West and you know and, and see where the rest of the season goes from there. So a fascinating matchup in East Lansing. Just a lot to watch this weekend on the local sports scene. MGM Wine and Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, premixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to MGMWineAndSpirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine and Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. All right, Vikings beat writer Ben Gessling joins me right now as he does most Fridays during the NFL season. And... um Ben, I think the inter- there's two kind of interesting, I don't even want to call them subplots this week. They're just interesting things. Um, one of them, both of them I'm sure you're writing about and we've talked about a little bit already on Access Vikings. The, the first one being just kind of, we heard from Ed Donatel today, Vikings defense coordinator, heard from Thursday, I should say. Um, heard from him and the other coordinators and we're kind of getting a little bit more clarity on Philadelphia racked up 300 yards in the first half, 24 points on Monday Night Football. Got a little bit better in the second half. They didn't score, but they still got close to 500 yards of total offense, seven yards per play. And from from listening to Ed Donatel, from listening to other you know other people talk, from watching the game, what what do we think the what's the common thread there in terms of things they can clean up, things they can do better, things that we're going wrong on Monday night. Well, I think some of it is when you're playing as much zone as you are, it is, it is incumbent upon players to be able to know where everybody's supposed to be, know where assignments are, know where to pass things off. And that was no more apparent on Monday night than on the 53 yard touchdown that hurts hit to Quez Watkins in the first half. Um, 
Donatello kind of stood behind the scheme today, as you know, as you're going to expect from a coach that's coached this scheme for this long. And obviously it's been successful in enough places to think that it can work. Um, he talked a lot about this is it's all fixable. Uh, I, I chose my words carefully there so as not to not, trigger anybody. Not I didn't say not, not easily correctable. Yes, I, I purposely stayed away from that phrase, but he said everything is something we can fix. Um, uh, he just kind of talked about some of the mistakes that, that can happen. He said it can take time for players to get this right. And the, the interesting thing he kind of talked about was the, um, the, the 53-yarder that we just mentioned. He put that more on Cameron Dantzler than on Cam Bynum. And, and you know, the okay. broadcast and kind of put it on Bynum. And even O'Connell said they got our safety in the quarters look. But Donatel kind of said uh, that Dantzler on the touchdown misread what was in front of him. And if you remember the play, obviously, they, everybody kind of breaks on the – it's called a sail route, the, the out route that like Dallas Goddard runs there that Dantzler went with and Bynum went with. And, and Bynum, I think, was expecting Dantzler to carry that route down the field based on their coverage rules of who's supposed to take what. And they were in a, the Eagles were in kind of a bunch set, which can make things a little bit confusing. And it looked like from that perspective, that Dantzler was supposed to carry it down the field. That's kind of what Donatel said this morning. He said, you misread what's in front of him and the correction has been made. And that was the biggest play in the game. But obviously there was quite a bit of stuff the Eagles got in front of the Viking zones or, or the shells that was the word Troy Aikman kept using. And Donatel got asked about that as well. Yeah. I uh, said, so a lot of guys have opinions. If I listen to everyone, he kind of trailed off there. He said, it really wasn't a total shell or not. That's just kind of an overused deal. We have plenty of guys who account for everybody. We just didn't play our assignments. Right. So I wouldn't read too much into that. Uh, then I think Kevin Seifert asked him, would you play it the same way? Let's take the shell word out of it. <laughs> He said, take that word out of it, but we want to execute better if we do it again. We view a setback as temporary. What are you going to learn? What would you play the next day if you had to do it again? It didn't seem like he was saying we're going to come off of this and play man coverage, and I wouldn't expect that to happen. I mean, no. this is this – is He his, was brought in his defense. Yeah, this team. is his defense, right. Yeah, so you're not going to see them toss it out and say, hey, everybody's press man the rest of the way. This right. is going to be how they play, and – they are going to have some things to figure out. I think as you go, especially when you have young corners that are trying to figure out how to do all of this. So um, Patrick Peters talked about it this morning as well. And it's just a matter of everybody kind of understanding what everybody else is doing sure. and everybody reading it the same way. So um, you are going to see teams continue to attack them that way. I think you're going to see teams continue to attack that side of the field, uh, which we saw a lot on Monday night. They were picking on the yes. dance, but by them kind of tandem. And uh, I would expect that will continue, but you know, I, they are going to continue going forward with this type of coverage. I, and um, hope that they just do it better than they did Monday night. What's interesting. We got a, a question late from access Vikings from, I think Greg, it was Donatel related said, I believe Donatel hasn't called defense in quite some time when he did, how successful was he, especially with making in-game adjustments? And maybe that's, that's that's a long history, and who really knows? It's going back a long ways, but I wondered if you had any insight on that. Well, I mean, he, I suppose, wasn't calling the plays last year because Fangio was. I mean, he has done it in the past. Uh, it, yeah, it has been a long time, I think. And I'm trying to remember. He certainly did it in Green Bay. I think he did it maybe in Atlanta in that early part of the 2000s as well. So that's probably what he's referring to. I. I didn't see a, a ton of 
changes? I mean, Patrick Peterson said we made some adjustments. Just not the right ones. You, you didn't see a ton of different results, I guess, throughout the game. Uh, the coverages looked pretty similar. Obviously, they didn't score any points in the second half. How much of that is on on the coverage? I guess you you know it's hard to know for any amount of certainty if the coverage adjustments made it so that the Eagles didn't score in the second half, or if it was just situational stuff and the Eagles missed their opportunities. They still were certainly playing those same coverages. It seemed like Patrick Peterson was a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage, and maybe that's an adjustment he kind of made on his own throughout the second half. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to take a little while before we have a decent sense of how much they're willing to change and and how much that – I mean, we, we toss that around so much. In yeah. Terms of, well, they make adjustments. I mean, it's, it's such an easy thing to say, but I, I'm not really sure – how often anybody who says that is is being specific of right. what they – I mean, what that usually means, well, it, they got thrown on or run on in the first half and it continued to happen. Um, sometimes it can happen because you're just not as good as the other team or you're just not in positions to execute as well. Uh, the adjustments thing is tossed around a lot. and I'm, Yes, I agree. I would be curious – I would challenge people that use that, uh, at least the people that we kind of talk to or you know you hear it from, um, please accompany that with a 30 second definition of what you mean when you say it or what specific adjustments you wanted to see that you did not. Well, it is a catch all, right? Like if a team's performing, yeah. if a team was down at a, at halftime and then they played better, it's always, well, what did you do? Like what adjustments did you made? And sometimes it's just, you played better. Or sometimes you didn't yeah. you kept doing the same thing and it worked better. So that's absolutely fair. Or the regression to the mean happened. Yes, exactly. And there's some of that too. But but coaches do like to sound smart sometimes and say, "Well, we we did this and that and that, that totally uh, changed uh, changed the game around." Or you know, sometimes it goes the other way too. Yeah, if if you make an adjustment that works and you can take some credit for it, yeah, there coaches do maybe set some of that uh, economy up. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. by uh, kind of saying, "Yeah, we, we adjust things." It's because of that that we won. Speaking of uh, speaking of coaches. The other kind of storyline going into week three is now the Vikings are coming off a loss, right? They they won the first week 23-7. They lost, you know, 24, 20, uh, 24-7. And so, you know, you kind of have two kind of mirror mirror image games, and now they're one and one But a lot of what you're thinking about this week, a lot of what our, a lot of us thinking about is, like, how do they then come back from this? Or what, what kind of resilience will this year's team have? And... Adam Thielen talked about that on Thursday and was uh, pretty candid about kind of where they are right now in that process. What what did Thielen say and what did that what did you take away from what Thielen said? Yeah, I I've been kind of asking about this this week because Kevin O'Connell talked about this is kind of where the culture stuff gets put to the test. When we lose a game, yep. it's not as happy in the building as everybody has talked about it being, and certainly. <laughs> in the more uh, derisive approach to the way they're doing things, if people are kind of taking shots at it, it's this perception that everybody's just palling around with everybody all the time. And O'Connell said, no, this is really where it, it becomes, does this work or not? And I asked Adam Thielen about it today, and he said, he kind of harkened back to something he said in the spring. He said, I told you guys in the spring that we are better set up for adversity, to handle adversity than at any point in the time that I've been here. And I, so I followed up and said, well, that's interesting. And I kind of said, refresh my memory on what made you feel like that is the case, either from when you first said it 
or when you're saying it now. And he said, when you walk in this building, there's nobody hanging their heads. There was nobody MFing. It was everybody ready to talk about the game to figure out what we can do better. And then talked about how, what can we do as an offense defense to help the team win? And then he said, then turn the, turn the script, flip the page and move on. So uh, the fact, the, the line about nobody hanging their heads, nobody MFing anybody. Yeah. uh, Was pretty interesting. And I I think uh, it doesn't take a genius to figure out what he's contrasting that with. But uh, I, I think he feels like he talked about there being a positive environment in a building and it's, you know, we can, we can sit here and roll our eyes at that, I suppose. And if they don't play well on Sunday, then it doesn't really matter that much, but it is, I think worth remembering that these are still people that if you come to work feeling better about what you do and the people you do it with, there is a natural inclination to say, I want to perform better because I like working here. I like being here and I want to stay here. So, um, how much that translates into victories is almost impossible to quantify, but I, they certainly, I mean, this is the approach of the 2022 Vikings that this stuff does matter. So this is, as O'Connell was willing to admit, these are the moments where you find out if that's true or if that your approach to it works. That's, that's good. That's all well and good. I'm a couple um, kind of football things before we let you go. One of them being, you know, speaking of Thielen, I was just kind of, Poking around at his numbers the other day, it's been a slow start to the year for him, and some of that's just circumstance. Jefferson had the huge game in week one. Nobody really had much going in week two against Philadelphia. Maybe he comes out and gets you know, seven catches, 123 yards, two touchdowns against the Lions, and then we're all just like, okay, everything's well with Adam Thielen again. But uh, this is maybe a bigger question about Thielen and just their kind of secondary playmakers. We haven't seen much from Dalvin Cook yet. We haven't seen much from um, you know Irv Smith drop that long pass. We we saw the huge game from Jefferson in Week One, but at, at what point? Again, it's two weeks, so not right now. But at what point do you start to to wonder? Okay, who? What's the pecking order, and who really are the who are their who are their true playmakers, and is how close to his peak right now is Adam Thielen? Yeah, it's an interesting question because I think, you know, certainly Monday night when I think they had 21 plays in the first half, it's, it's a little hard to kind of get anybody the ball enough to feel like they're really getting going, especially a guy like, I mean, you can cut that both ways. Delvin cook isn't going to get the ball as much when you are having short drives and Adam Thielen's not going to get the ball as much when, you're in third and long and you've got really one play to try to make something happen. Otherwise you're getting off the field. I, Thielen talked about it today and, and, you know, kind of said there are some plays where people might look at all 22 and say, he was open on that play. Cousins missed him. He said, I might not even be part of the read. There, There might be a route that's designed to take coverage away from where the quarterback is looking. And maybe I was open, but it, doesn't mean that I'm going to get the ball because I probably wasn't part of the progression, at least in a way that the quarterback was going to look at it. Obviously he's an eligible receiver. So the quarterback can throw him the ball, but the play is not designed to go to the guy that you see that's open on TV or the guy that you see on an all 22 or the guy that the broadcasters say, Oh, he missed him. Uh, There's a lot of that stuff that it's hard to get an answer to it because we don't have the call sheet and we're not going to have the call sheet for the most part. So um, and there are certain things that float around on the internet of 
playbooks of years past. And you can kind of look at that and say, well, if this was really this play, you can have an educated guess as to where the progression was and, and how, you know, what option was feeling in that read or whatever. But I, some of it, I think has been that I do wonder um, if he is the same guy at age 32 as he was at age 27. I mean, that's just kind of something you see happen in this league that the quick twitch ability to separate has been a big part of his game. It, it has not looked to me early like that has been, I, I haven't seen him open as much in NFL next gen stats. I think quantified that Monday night saying it, in terms of their receivers, he was getting less separation from the closest defender than anybody else among their kind of primary eligible receivers. Is that how they're playing coverage? Is that him not separating? Um, it's hard to know exactly, but they did play a lot of man coverage. So some of it may be that he's just not getting away from it quite to the same degree. I, I do think it's worth watching because they're going to need somebody else to yeah. be a bigger factor, given how much attention Justin Jefferson is going to get. And I, I think, um, Honest NFL, which I believe is a former Eagles scout. He's a former NFL scout. It's a Twitter account that tweets a lot about the Eagles. He said he went back and charted their defense, and they had four or five times where it was a true double team on Jefferson. But certainly Jefferson was getting more of that attention, at least by his read on the game, than anybody else was. And you're going to expect that. So with that being the case, you are going to need other people to make defenses pay for focusing on Jefferson so much or take the opportunities that come because they do focus on Jefferson. And I think Thielen has to be a big part of that because he's still the number two receiver is certainly getting paid. Like he's a big part of this offense. His cap hit is I think 17, 18 million this year and it's 19.9 million next year. So they're still pretty much counting on him to do those things. And, and uh, yeah, I think over the next few weeks here, we're going to get a better sense of where he's at, but yeah, certainly worth watching that. I think over the next few weeks, because it has been noticeable how little of a piece of this offense he has played uh, in the first couple of weeks. Now that's interesting with Cousins. Too. You talked about his reads where the, he he says so many times, I go where the reads take me. And I think a lot of quarterbacks maybe say that, but it also feels like he was really looking for Jefferson in some mm-hmm. of plays in the second half. And I wonder if there's like, does he have the ability to play both ways? Does he have the ability to go where the reads take him and also marry that with the idea of Jefferson's my go-to, I got to go get him the ball too. It just, I just wonder how that's playing out in his mind as he thinks about how he typically plays quarterback versus maybe how how they want him to play or, or how or, or what Justin Jefferson demands. Not, 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 in a, not in a you must give me the ball way, but just because he's so good. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a fair question because it is interesting with Cousins. He talks about going where his reads take him. And yet, there are a lot of times where it's been Diggs and Thielen or Jefferson and Thielen that you see his top two receivers have a very large portion of the targets. And that's certainly going to be the case with those two receivers and, and guys of that caliber. But he's never been the guy, at least by my lights, where you sit there and say, boy, he's hit nine different receivers today. Or he, he doesn't have as many of those types of games. It seems like where he's spreading it around quite as much. And, and maybe that's had more to do with their depth over the years, too, that they just haven't had other guys that are worth involving the offense. And they haven't played as many four-receiver sets. So some of those things are going to be 
part of where that number comes from. But he's he's always kind of struck me as the guy that leans pretty heavily on his you know his go to guys, and certainly that's been the case with Thielen in the red zone. He's I think got a trust factor with him there that you've seen over the years, and I think you're starting to see that with Jefferson in terms of the targets he's getting, and and some of that may just be them saying, hey, this guy is one of the best two three receivers in the NFL. We got to get him the ball, and as we've seen, and as Cousins has said, the way his coaches want him to play the position is a big part of how he plays the position. He's not the guy we've talked about it, but he's not the guy that's just going to say, this is the way I want to do it. I don't care what the coaches say. It is not that approach with him. He very much wants to play the position in the way that his coaches want him to do it. So if the reads are changing and Wes Phillips has talked about kind of working more high to low in his reads than he maybe has in the past, um, if those things and the way the plays are being designed are going more towards Jefferson, uh, that could be part of it. But it also could be if there are times where Thielen is supposed to get the ball, the Cousins doesn't feel like it's there and then he moves off of it. So um, it, it's one of those things that you're not probably going to be able to say, this is the one thing that's causing this, or this is the one thing that's keeping this from happening. Um, but there's probably a combination of those things and we'll have a better sense of that. I would expect in the next few weeks, but yeah, again, I think, Thielen being involved is going to be important for them going forward. At least, you know, somebody has to get more involved to take some of the pressure off of Jefferson. And I think Thielen's the most obvious candidate to do it. Last thing, as we think about the Detroit game on Sunday, it feels important in a lot of different ways, but it also feels mm-hmm. like we're still in this like information gathering mode with this yep. team where we just still don't know a whole lot about them. They've showed us one really good game, one really bad game. As you think about that aspect, and maybe we've already even kind of cracked a couple of these codes so far of things we'd like to see. Is there anything else in particular you'd like to see in terms of learning more about this team on Sunday? I am curious to see how this secondary responds, um, especially if what well, we'll see in a, a little bit towards the end of the week here, uh, kind of where Harrison Smith stands. But if he is not able to go, how does that secondary look? Probably with, I think, Josh Metellus playing next to Cam Bynum. I mean, two young safeties. Maybe Lewis Seen gets in there some, but you're going to have a pretty young secondary against the Lions offense that has looked more explosive and more productive than it has in a while. So I am curious how that group does in their second go around at home, uh, you know, probably when it's a little easier to play on defense because the offense may be a little bit rattled, not able to get off the ball quite as quickly. Uh, I'm curious to see if that pass rush can get back on track. I, I thought that was a big factor in why they won week one and, and just didn't have the same impact on Jalen Hurts in week two. And I just, I want to see if they can get Dalvin Cook going. I mean, I, I, I'm still, the the way they've gone with him the first couple of weeks, I guess has not been a huge shock. I, I expected there'd be a little bit less of an emphasis on him, probably a little bit more of a workload share than there's been in the past, and we saw a little bit of that early with Alexander Madison before they get the lead in week one and kind of go to Cook. But I want to see if they get him more involved, and if they don't, kind of how that goes. Um, you know, Obviously, a guy that's making a lot of money, a guy that's been a big part of this team, and um, if that role changes, I, I'm curious to see how that kind of all plays out. So a lot of things to learn yet. I think a lot of things to still figure out with how this team's going to play, but uh, plenty at stake on Sunday in another division game. The first three home games this year are, are their three NFC North 
home games. And then our last three road games are all division contests as well. So lots on the line for a Lions game, which is it's kind of fun to have a few more things at stake before they uh, head off to London next week. More CJ ham ground and pound, baby. They got to get back to the establishing the run. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, the, the, uh, the, the guy who, uh, I probably had a different approach to losses than Kevin O'Connell. Uh-huh. I probably agree with you on that front. Thanks, Ben. All right. Thanks, Mike. Good stuff from Ben Gessling, as always. One thing I really like about Ben, I like him just for a lot of different reasons, but one thing I like about him professionally is I feel like he and I think a lot of the same way in terms of stories, in terms of what's a story, in terms of what we're hearing, what we're seeing, how we're analyzing it. There's been multiple times where you know, it would be the Monday after a Vikings game. And in order to not have a duplication of effort, we always, you know, we try to communicate. And if I'm going to write a, a, bl- a blog post about the Vikings after a game, I'll text him and say, hey, here's what I'm thinking about writing. Um, just want to make sure you're not going to go that direction. And, you know, there's been, I would say, like a decent number of times we're like, oh, actually, that, that is kind of like some a direction I was thinking about going. So, okay, I'll, I'll kind of reverse course a little bit or try to try to go a little bit of a different direction so we're not both writing the same thing and you know then the readers are reading the same thing and that's that's not uh, that's not the ideal scenario but I think he and I think along the lines uh, along the lines of a lot of the same ways we view the game and certainly this notion of um, culture being put to the test this weekend is a good one and I thought that was a good piece of the conversation he and I had so I hope you agree with that should be a good game Vikings home against the Lions on Sunday at U.S. Bank Stadium couple more things here quick I love this story out of Dallas where Jerry Jones is trying to uh, I don't know who I don't know how this emerged or who kind of goaded him into this idea but uh, um, Jerry Jones saying he would love it if the Cowboys had a quarterback controversy. Cooper Rush, the backup, has uh, has played reasonably well in helping the, the Cowboys go two and zero as Dak Prescott is uh, is undergoing uh, is, has the injured thumb and is missing a little bit of the start to this season. Um, but now the media, you know, the, I think he was asked on his radio show, he was there, some some place in the Dallas media asked him about you know when Prescott took over for Romo in 2016 and never gave the job back. Um, they're trying to make this a thing, which is kind of funny because it was like the world was ending last year when the Vikings lost to the Cowboys when when uh, when when Cooper Rush played, and I, I think it's it's kind of funny. I, I think it's a uh, he said this is Jerry Jones' quote. So I think it's possible for Rush to come in here and play at a level to win games the way Prescott did when he took over for Romo. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I certainly think that's possible. Um, Ezekiel Elliott asked about it though, um, asked about, uh, that Prescott needs to study Cooper Rush's tape. He smirked, apparently. He said, it's just really people on TV get clicks, get views. They're going to say the most outrageous stuff and you're going to get the most attention. That's their job. Who knows if they really believe it. So I don't think inside the Dallas locker room, they're buying the Cooper Rush might take, uh, might take Dak Prescott's job narrative. And I probably don't think you should either. Let's finish quickly with the cooler. That's where the Twins have been relegated lately now that the season is, by all intents and purposes, over. They lose again to the Royals 4-1, to swept by Kansas City 1-7 and on the road trip, 73-77 and on the season, 46-61 and in the last four months. Which is the real version of the Twins? That is the most fascinating offseason question. Is it the team 
that started 27-16 had relatively good health, or is it the team that could not stay healthy but really started to fade even before the injuries mounted over these last four months? That is the question that Derek Falvey and Thad Levine must ask and, more importantly, must answer as they evaluate this team heading into the off season. That'll do it for me today. Back at it again Monday with Patrick Royce. We will have almost too much to talk about given everything going on right now, but we would not have it any other way. Have a great weekend. Back at it again on Monday. 